We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome, Irish fans, to another edition of the Irish Breakdown Podcast. I am Vince Daddario. I am the football analyst here at irishbreakdown.com. And with me, as always, is my buddy. That's Brian Driscoll. He's the publisher at irishbreakdown.com. And uh, first things first, Brian, before we jump into today's topic, can we tell the people why uh, it looked like we called each other this morning uh, and decided what to wear? Yeah, because you're always trying to be like me. So I'm rocking, <laughs> rocking the Irish Breakdown sweatshirt today, Woo-hoo. and you are too. And I kind of should have thought about the fact that anytime I give you something new, you just wear it all the time. It's a fact. So like I, a I should have thought I mean, it through. This was not planned that we're wearing the same <laughs> gear, but um, uh, yeah. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm in a school, so I, I'm just a walking billboard for Irish Breakdown. Yes. You know, just trying to get everybody involved. We're trying to get to the younger audience. So That's right. There you go. The younger demographic. So yeah. all five of my children are subscribers. So Speaking you of go. younger, <laughs> <laughs> great good. segue into our show today. It is. And so, yes, yeah, speaking of younger, uh, since you and I are both no longer in our 20s, anybody that is is considered younger. And uh, Tommy Reese uh, would be considered a younger person. Quite younger Uh, in coaching terms. Yes. And so he is the offensive coordinator at Notre Dame. That is not breaking news. Um, But we want to talk about him and the future of the Notre Dame offense. Mm -hmm. And let's let's flash backwards to when he was hired uh, by Brian Kelly. So this is about a year ago. He gets hired as the offensive coordinator. After Brian Kelly's fake national search. That he conducted from Florida. That's, that's fair. That he conducted. That's, that's good. I mean, it's speaking facts. It speaking is what it facts. is. Um, I, I want to put it out there 
that you and I, for that matter, mm-hmm. were not really on board with this hire no. when it took place. Go. Yeah, I did not support the hire. And I feel like it's important to say that now because uh, what we're going to talk about today is is uh, about Tommy Reese and the future of the offensive, offensive situation at Notre Dame. It's going to seem like um, our tune has changed, and it hasn't. You no. know, I, I, I felt like Tommy Reese was not the right hire. And, and the reality behind it is we saw this year that that was correct. Uh, when you look at Notre Dame's offense this season, you know Brian Kelly had to turn the spin machine on hard this year to justify why the offense was worse than it was really the last two years. Uh, from just about every standpoint, when you look at scoring, total offense, everything was down from a big picture standpoint, and and you know that's why we got the spin machine about you know oh well you know we didn't have playmakers, which is nonsense. You know that they didn't have playmakers and all these other kind. You had your your thirty and five you know, starting quarterback, you had four starting or five starting offensive linemen back. You had a very talented group of tight ends. You had Notre Dame's best running back depth chart, in my opinion, in a few years. And every time you actually allowed Javon McKinley to be a big part of the offense, he balled even against Clemson in November. So, um, you know, the spin machine was there. And I think that Tommy Reese got put into a situation that honestly he should not have been put into. Um, Having said that, you know, he's there now. And, and, it, you know, yes. it, it was always about the experience, Vince. And you and I have both coached. And play calling and play designing and being the man in charge of the room is is something that takes time. It, it just does. It's not something about, well, is he talented enough to be the offensive coordinator? Well, yeah. I mean, that was that, and that was yeah, never, never the question. It, never Tommy Reese is a really smart kid. I mean, he didn't have the success he had at Notre Dame as a quarterback because of his you know, Athletic rugged, ability. good looks and big, powerful John Elway-esque arm and great athleticism, you know? Are you calling Tommy Reese ugly? No, I'm just saying, wow, like, those things sure. didn't factor into why he was <laughs> better looking than I am, but don't <laughs> don't distract the topic there, Vince, and make it weird. Um, the point is, is the reasons, the only reasons that he was a, a, a successful quarterback at Notre Dame is because he knows the game. He has an yes. instinct for the game. And so, you know, people would say, well, well, Joe Brady was 30. Then wait two more years and hire him when he's 30. You know what I mean? Like, you know, let him work for Joe Moorhead for two years and learn under a great veteran offensive coordinator with a proven track record uh, that could have done some really good things with Ian Book. I mean, if he made Trace McSorley an NFL quarterback, a draftable quarterback, then what could he do with Ian Book, you know, who I think is a – you know, a guy that we we didn't see the most out of because of the manner in which he was coached. So. It was never about, is Tommy Reese smart? Is Tommy Reese? I never got the whole, oh, it's just because he played for Kelly. Well, yeah, I mean, that's a part of it, but it it doesn't take away from the fact that he's got the smarts to do this job. But he doesn't have the experience. And right. that's the fact. I mean, he's been a he's been in college for four years coming into this season. And he had like what one year as a you know, as a assistant to an assistant in the NFL. Right. That's not and you know, well, Chip Long was young. Yeah, Chip Long was 34, which meant he Tommy Reese needed to coach for six more years before Chip Long was the age that he got his first offensive coordinator job at Memphis. So it was a hundred percent about the lack of experience. And I don't think Tommy Reese is someone that needs to wait till he's in his mid to late thirties to be an offensive coordinator, but he wasn't ready at, at the time. He was 27 when he was hired, I believe 28 during the season. Yeah, I think so. Yeah. It just, it just, it wasn't the right time. And it wasn't the right time because of 
the fact he did have such a veteran team. You needed a guy that knew exactly how to come in, immediately shake things up, and and get the offense to play to the level that it needed to play. And the fact is, is the offense this year didn't do that. And and look, the the reality is, is you, Notre Dame played in the ACC this year, which is a a let's be honest, a mediocre football league. It is, and Notre Dame yeah. still out of fifteen teams finished fifth in scoring offense. And they were a lot closer to finishing ninth than they were to finishing third, second, or first when you look at the numbers. You know, um, Notre Dame played a schedule. They played, what, 12 games this year, right? Um, I think six of their games were against teams with a winning record, right? You had Boston College, Pitt, Clemson twice, Alabama, North Carolina. So only half their games were against teams with a winning record. And two of those teams with a winning record went six and five. Right, they played a their their overall opponent record was about over more than ten games below five hundred, and they still only averaged thirty three point four points per game. And can compare that to twenty seventeen Chip Long's first year when Notre Dame averaged a point more than what they averaged this year, and they played eight ranked teams that year, eight. Ranked right, teams. not not winning ranked. records. Ranked. And I'm talking at the end of the year. I'm not talking yeah. about ranked at the time when they were really seven and six. I'm talking about teams that finished the year ranked, uh, and that included four top fifteen teams. And and so when you look at it, fifth in the league in in scoring, you're talking about an offense that finished uh, see third in total offense. And again, they had 448 yards, 48 and a half yards. Clemson was number two at 502. North Carolina was at 537. Number seven, Miami, was at 439.8, which meant Notre Dame was a lot closer to being eighth than they were second right. in total offense. You know, you look at yards per play, Notre Dame finished fifth. They were almost a yard and a half worse than North Carolina. North Carolina apparently has the talent on offense to be way better on offense than Notre Dame. Uh, I don't buy that as being true. Even rushing offense, you know, Notre Dame finished third in rushing. They were still 24 yards behind North Carolina and, and almost 30 yards behind uh, Virginia Tech, and it's not a league that's necessarily a great rushing team. Again, they were closer to being sixth than they were to being second. That's just data. That's just numbers, you know, and, you know, Notre Dame was fifth in yards per rush. They were below Florida State in Louisville in yards per carry this year. Uh, that's not because of a lack of talent at running back. I think everybody would agree with us that there's talent at running back. So, um, you know, to me, it was not a successful offensive year when you look at the numbers and you look at, you know, the the competition that they played. They did right. not play good teams. Uh, they did not play a bunch of juggernaut offenses. And, and, and even before the final two games, their numbers weren't overly impressive. I mean, if you look at the schedule, Notre Dame played four of the five bottom teams in the league in scoring defense. You know, North Carolina, they scored 31 points against. North Carolina gave up 29.4 points per game this year. North Carolina's not good on defense. So That's right on their average. I mean, it's... And they did that a lot. You know, Duke gives up 38 points a game. Notre Dame scored 27. Georgia Tech gives up 36.8 points per game. Notre Dame scored 31. I mean, that kind of was the story all year uh, for Notre Dame. And so... Uh, it was not a great year offensively, but I don't, and, and it, I'm at the point now where the, I don't really blame Tommy Reese for that though. And that's what we're going to get into today. Um, yes. I feel the combination of Tommy Reese's inexperience with the things that the hurdles. And so you hire a 28 year old coach, right? With no experience. Then you put a bunch of roadblocks in front of him. 
And that's how I felt it went for Notre Dame this year. But I think that the reason I wanted to do the show today, Vince, is because I'm getting a lot of texts and DMs from people that are like, they should fire Tommy Reese to go hire so-and-so. You know, when Tom Herman got fired at Texas, well, what do you think about firing Tommy Reese and hiring Tom Herman? I'm like, no, that's no, not no. that's not the solution. Right. And, and it, uh, people were surprised that I was pushing back so much because I was against the Tommy Reese sure. hire to begin with. But I don't think that I think you've already go, you've already made your move. Tommy Reese is your offensive coordinator. Yes, that's correct. And so my point now is you only fire Tommy Reese if he doesn't have the chops for the right. job. I, right. I've never doubted the chops. I've doubted the experience. And so. Now I think it's time to say the kid got his feet wet. Now it's time to, to get out of his way. And so, that's ultimately what this show is going to be about. Yeah, and I was going to say, I guess I'm going to say it a little bit differently than you did, but this is a Notre Dame has made their bed. Brian Kelly has made his bed. Now you and I are going to sleep in it. Like we, we, right. we know, we know. We, and that's not a bad thing. No, no, no. That's it, the thing, it, yeah. That's, that's what I want to say is like, this is the situation. Here's how we believe you can take this situation and make it a successful one, mm -hmm. right? If, if we see another repeat of last year in the manner in which the offense is constructed and, and called, and you're not going to see a step forward. Right. Like there, there's things that need to be done. That's what we're going to talk about. And we right. believe that Tommy Reese can right. do the job. That's, it's just a matter of, is he going to be allowed? Right. If, so if that, Brian Kelly, yeah. It, sorry, Vince. Go ahead. Finish your point. No, I, I was going to say that's where we're going to start this conversation, right. and I wanted to ask you where does that where does that start with Tommy Reese? So, so if if you're Brian Kelly, you know that a change needs to be made on offense. Yeah. You bring uh, Tommy Reese into your office. Where does it start? You don't just push the binder toward him and be like, "All right, I'm on vacation. Yeah. I'll see you." You know how does that conversation start with you? So let's just say that that that. Brian Kelly hires me as his advisor, right? And um, which would be hilarious, by the way. Um, I'm sure that'd go over great. I would. Uh, so I would. He say, "Okay, Driscoll. I'm assuming you think we should fire Tommy Reese since you didn't support." Him. I said, "No, not at all. I, I, as a matter of fact, Coach, I think you need to double down on the hiring of Tommy Reese. And 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 now it's time to give over the offense to your assistants. The first thing you need to do for me is you need to do big picture." with the offense, what you did on defense post-2016. Yep. And if you look at Notre Dame's first, what, six seasons under Brian Kelly, um, actually would it be seven seasons? Yeah, seven seasons under Brian Kelly. He had two defensive coordinators that were Brian Kelly disciples. The first one was good. Bob Diaco did a very good job at Notre Dame. Um, like coaching job. Yes, and and they, got, they had three straight top 25 defenses to start his tenure at Notre Dame. So I thought Bob Diaco did a very good job. He was the right man at the right time because also he had personnel that fit what he wanted to do defensively. So I think that made a lot of sense too, and it helped ease that transition. You know, he was a 3-4 defense guy, and Notre Dame, he inherited a bunch of 3-4 personnel. Yeah, right. Um, you know, and then he hired Brian Van Gorder, who, you know, again, was his guy and was going to run an NFL defense because that is that is when Kelly had kind of made his we're going to be an NFL team sort of push. And um, it was an utter disaster on defense, as we know. Um, and then, of course, after 2016, he made he made the decision to bring in sort of an outsider, a couple outsiders, matter of fact, uh, in in Mike Elko and Clark Lee. Mike Elko had a great first year, uh, took one of the worst defenses in Notre Dame history, 
and turned it into a pretty darn good top 25 caliber defense in, in a year with the same players. And then in year two, he he leaves after year one. Clark Lee takes over. And then, of course, we saw what we saw the last three years, Yep. Uh, which was, you know, Notre Dame has played well enough on defense in all but one game, really, uh, the last three years to, in my opinion, to be, to play for championships. And of course that would be the, the Michigan game in, in 2019, but, but, you know, Notre Dame played well enough on defense in 2019 to beat Georgia. Um, and, and so, and of course they, they were a big reason Notre Dame beat Clemson in November, you know, gave up some points, but had, you know, huge plays in that game. So, and, and what has he done? He's pretty much given control of the defense to the staff and everything I've been told the last three years is, you know, Brian Kelly will have some suggestions about personnel, but when it comes to how the defense is run, it's okay, go do your job. Right. Uh, you know, go coach. And and it's and what he did was, however, is he set the tone for what they're going to do. And that is we need to have a defense that is more athletic, more multiple, and more aggressive, uh, while also sound and allows us to match up with modern college offenses. So he so to paraphrase, he he allowed the defense to move into the modern era. Correct. He he no, not allowed it. He went. Well, that's the reason he hired Mike Oko. Okay. And you know, is to, you know, look, we've got to run an offense, a defense that allows us to be more athletic, more mobile, to contend with the teams that are beating us. Sure. You know, because yeah. right, right. if you look at 2015, for example, you you got outscored by Stanford. You got outscored by Ohio State, and you got outscored by Clemson on a rainy day when you know Clemson would have. Let's be honest. No, if that was a dry day, that was not a competitive game. Sure, it would not have been a competitive game. It, Deshaun Watson threw for ninety some yards against a Brian Van Gorder defense. Okay, does anyone think that's anywhere close to, to what Deshaun Watson would have done on a dry day? <laughs> Let's be real. Okay, right, right, right. Um, you know, so or it, if it if it would have been competitive game, it would have looked a lot more like the Stanford game than it would have what it looked like. Because uh, yeah, I think Notre Dame would have had more success on a dry day, too. So let me say it wouldn't have been competitive. It would have been a lot more high scoring. How about that? Because I don't want to dis- disrespect the Notre Dame offense because that was a really good offense. And I think they would have scored more points that game as well because I think Clemson benefited from the rainy day because it kept Notre Dame's run game from really getting their footing and getting a push on the defense on the offensive line. So sure. that sure. factored in as well. So he basically got out of the way and said, hey, look, this is what I want. Go do it. And yeah. he did it, and and it worked. The problem is he has not made the same changes on offense. In fact, he's gone the opposite direction. Uh, he brought Chip Long in, and and to a degree, he allowed Chip Long to modernize the, modernize the offense to a small degree. But Brian Kelly has kind of kept those same principles and philosophies of complexity and you know, you, you need to be veterans because we need to be able to you know carry a lot of offense into each game. I mean, they carry a lot of offense in the games. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's a lot of plays to run out of a lot of different formations and a lot of different concepts and ways to attack teams. And, and it's it's a lot like an NFL sure. offense in a lot of ways, you know. I mean, you watch Chip Long, and, and we don't know if Tommy Reese will do it because Tommy Reese is on in a booth. But, you know, when right. Chip Long was here, uh, you know, he'd have this big NFL looking card he'd put in front of his face. Well, then you got like Lincoln Riley, who's got like this little tiny folded in like half a, sheet of paper. He's got like a three by five. Yeah. Card. <laughs> I mean, he's got like index cards for his like play sheet. Yeah, it's like a cheat sheet. Yeah. yeah. And, and it's just like, what are we doing here? You, you know what I mean? Like, right. yeah, agreed. 
Um, and so, and again, the air raid's a little different, but you know, all those air raid guys have smaller play sheets, but there, there needs to be sort of a, a little bit of a happy medium yes. with what they're doing. Uh, and, and that's kind of held the offense back. And in some ways, Brian Kelly made the inexperienced coordinators situation worse. And this is what I mean by roadblocks. The, the philosophy that Notre Dame relies upon, and I'm yeah. not talking about ball control. I'm, I'm more so talking about everything is being called beforehand. It's a very old school philosophy of calling plays. No RPOs, very little audibling. You're not running tempo. So you're, you're very much a let's motion formation and play call our way to success. Okay. It with a slower ball control tempo. So if I could design the four worst things that you could do for a 28 year old, really smart offensive coordinator, it's slow tempo and, and being a formational motion, get the right call from the sideline anticipation, no few audibles thing. That's like the worst thing I would do for a young coach. And that's exactly what Brian Kelly did to Tommy Reese. So again, I don't even think that the lack of success this season was about Tommy Reese as much as it was about Brian Kelly. And yeah. that's where my stance has really changed is, you know, you made it harder for him to be successful. And, and let's take RPOs for an example. Since we've talked about those, we've done a podcast on those, we've done videos on those. An RPO is essentially a play where you call a play, you call a run play, Okay. And the quarterback lines up. He gets his eyes on it. And if you haven't watched our RPO breakdown, check it out Watch on YouTube. It. I, I try to make it as like as as non-coachy as possible, so that way it's something that you know people can really understand the basics of the RPO. Essentially, you make a run call. The quarterback makes a pre-snap read of a certain player. He gets his eyes on a certain player, and then if that player does one thing, the quarterback will either hand it off, pull it, or throw it. Another misconception of RPOs, the R part is not the run for the quarterback. It's called it's a run pass option. It's different than a read zone. A lot of people have said, well, you know, with Jack Cohn, can you run an RPO because he's not mobile? Uh, yeah. It doesn't matter. The R, but it's Matt a fair Cohn's question because all the time. Non-coach, right. non-coaching people don't understand. You know, it, You're it's, right. It's, we're always throwing these new things at them. It's first it's read zone, then it's RPO. So it's it's a fair question. Um, the R is not for a quarterback run. It's different than a read zone. A read zone is where the quarterback is reading a defender and he's either pulling it and running it or that kind of thing. The run is simply you make a run play call. If they do certain things, you hand the ball off and you just run that play. If the quarterback does the pass option, the offensive line is still blocking for the run. That doesn't change. And what it does essentially for a play caller is it lessens your burden to always have to have the right call made because your quarterback can make you right with his decision. So it actually eases the pressure off of a play caller. It also eases a play caller's burden because now teams, if you run it right, which means constantly. Now, you don't run RPOs every time. Not every pass is an RPO. You'll actually have play action passes. You'll have drop back passes. And then a lot of teams will have sort of what they call like a, a lock call, which is we're handing the ball off here. Don't yeah. pull it and throw it. So you call like, you know, we're going to run 34 zone lock. That means you'll fake the RPO action and the quarterback's the only one getting that call. It, so the receivers are still running their routes, but the quarterback is being told hand the ball off. You know what I mean? Um, and then there will be times that you'll call a play where you want your receivers blocking. 
And when you have receivers the way that Notre Dame does, you, you'll want to do that from time to time. So, but it's something you predominantly do a lot of the time. It's a philosophy, not a play call. And what it does is it eases your burden. So now Tommy Reese doesn't always have to have the right second and seven play call That's and the hope the hope that the defense is lined up in what they think they're going to be lined up based on preparation and all these kind of things, and which is easier to do during the regular season. But when you get into the bowl season, the postseason, when teams have extra time to prepare for you, it makes it even harder because now they're going to – the first thing any good coaching staff does when they get extra time, extra a bye week or a bowl game, the first thing they do is study themselves. What are our tendencies? All scouting, baby. What are the tendencies that we're going to show them that they're going to be preparing for that we can break with our game plan? Every good coaching staff does that. So, so you know that's going to hurt Notre Dame, and that's part of the reason why their offense struggles so mightily in the postseason. You know, and and you went from you know hanging forty seven on Clemson to scoring ten, and seven of those ten came in garbage time. You know, um, so same thing with Clemson with Alabama. You scored fourteen points, seven of them came in garbage time, and so you're like, why isn't that happening as much in the regular season? Well, it's because teams have more time to prepare, and and Notre Dame, and they are able to find Notre Dame's tendencies. And when you have the right, when you don't have the right play call all the time, it your odds of success are going to go down. Not having RPOs, not having more reads like every other great offense is doing and team that's competing for a championship is doing, you make it harder on your offensive coordinator and you make it harder on your quarterback. Right. And so that's why, Vince, when we did the Alabama breakdown, I didn't hammer Tommy – I didn't hammer Ian Book at all. Right. I mean, you put Ian Book in, in position to fail and you put Tommy Reese in position to fail. You're going to ask them to outsmart Nick Saban with play calls. And the thing about it is you're, you're asking them, you have to have the right call made because if you don't have the right call made, there's not, there's hardly any audibling at, at Notre Dame. And, and, and when you do audible, it's audibling to a completely different play. And now your players have less time to get the check. And now they've got a, Oh, I'm not running right zone to the right. Now I'm actually running counter to the left or whatever. It takes a lot more because it, it's just harder on everybody, but especially the quarterback and and the the offensive coordinator. So in that regards, Vince, Brian Kelly made Tommy Reese's job even harder. Yes, so that's correct. Then you start looking at it and saying, you know, now you think about the success they had and you say, that's actually not a bad job considering the fact that his head coach put him in handcuffs right. the whole season. Right. And so that's kind of where I've said <laughs> that's why you shouldn't have hired him in the first place. You should have hired Joe Moorhead and just let Joe Moorhead go run the offense. I actually said at the time, I thought the best thing for Tommy Reese would have been hiring Joe Moorhead. Because let's be honest, Joe Moorhead's going to come here for a couple of years, and the first chance he gets to get a big head coaching job, he's going to take it. He's out. But that was perfect for Notre Dame. Because now you'd have Tommy Reese would have two more years of coaching experience, and most importantly, he would have had experience in a different system. Only two years of Tommy Reese's post-high school life have been in an offense other than Brian Kelly's. It's a year at Northwestern, not exactly an offensive juggernaut, in a year with the San Diego Chargers. Which right? also wasn't really an offensive juggernaut at the time. Correct, and that you know, their head coach and all the people on that staff have since been fired. That's fair. Uh, and I know that they're the Los Angeles Chargers now, but they were not the St. Los Angeles Chargers San at the Diego time. Then. Still San Diego. Yes. So let me ask you a question. Yeah. My, I think this is an opportunity, and we've talked about the fact that the 21 season is an opportunity 
to really jump into the offense, change philosophy, mm-hmm. et cetera. It's just it's mm-hmm. good timing with the schedule, mm-hmm. with the talent turnover, with the schedule in 22. I mean, just a myriad of reasons, right? Mm-hmm. I think that it's also uh, a perfect opportunity for Tommy Reese to 100% take over that yeah. quarterback room. 100%. Um, I, I, and I, I realize he's the quarterback's coach. I get it. But when you and I go to practice, when, when we were allowed, it's not just Tommy Reese talking to the quarterback, right? Right, and and I think when you've got two, di- it's like when you've got two different people in your ear, and it was three until this year. Good point with with Elko. I'm, I'm sorry with uh, Chip Long, Chip Long, and Mike Dembrock. And Mike, Mike Dembrock wasn't the quarterback's coach either. Good point. So when you've got all these different voices in your ear, especially with young quarterbacks, I think that confusion can happen. I think that hesitancy. Mm-hmm. Can happen because you're not wanting to make mistakes, etc. Mm-hmm. Now you 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 almost get like a do over. You got a grad yeah. transfer who's never been in the room. You you've got two young quarterbacks who've been in the room, but they weren't the focus of the room at right. all. Brian right? Kelly hasn't been working with them. It's it only was, been Tommy Reese. It was Ian Book, and that's it. Right. I think that this is an, an opportunity. You've got an you, freshman, obviously. Go. Tyler Buckner. I, He's I, pretty I, good. Yeah. Um, but I think this is an opportunity where they get one voice at all times. He's the mm-hmm. quarterback's coach. He's the offensive coordinator. And if he gets the reins of the offense, he's the only voice that these guys are going to be yeah. able to hear. I don't see how that could be a bad thing. I think that's, you know, you had asked earlier about things that I would do if I was Brian Kelly. That's the first, that's the second thing I would do is the big picture is you give the offense complete control to Tommy Reese and his staff. Um, because I think that he has a veteran offensive line coach that knows what Brian Kelly likes to do. You have a, a veteran tight ends coach who's been an offensive coordinator at the college level, has coached in the NFL. You have a running backs coach who's been in the NFL, has been some very successful college programs. And, and you know, you have this smart young coach, so get let him take over. But the most important thing is allowing him to be the only voice that the quarterbacks hear. Because here, here's some things I've gathered over the years, talking to different sources. There will be times, and, th- and this has been true, where the, the offensive coordinator and the, and the quarterback's coach will say things to the quarterback. Mm-hmm. And this was true with Ian. This was true with, with Everett. This, is true, this was true with Deshaun and from Malik Zaire, right? I've heard this about all of them. So, And I'm only I'm assuming that that's – you know, been something that's been true the whole year is they'll say something to the quarterback and then Brian Kelly will step in and say something completely different. <laughs> it's not helpful. It's not helpful at all. But then what do you do as the coordinator? You either tell the kid, no, don't listen to the head coach, which you can't do. Can't really do that. Or B, you say, okay, well, we, we, we got to change it now. And then now you've undermined the authority of your, of your quarterback's coach that's or your offensive point. coordinator. Yes. And, and now you've got to kind of, change gears on something that you didn't necessarily want to do because the head coach stepped in and said it. Right. And and so in order to prevent that from happening, Brian Kelly needs to take a step back. And like you said, Brian Kelly talks to the quarterbacks a lot in practice. And anyone that watches a Notre Dame game knows the first voice that the quarterback hears when he gets off the field after every single series is Brian Kelly's. Right. And part and, of that's because Tommy Reese is up in the booth. Well, that but was true before as well. Even if he wasn't, it would still be yeah. the first voice. That was year. true before yes. as well. Yeah. Which, by the way, let me let me just interject here. I'm okay with the head coach being the first voice that you hear when you come off, as long as it's the same yeah. 
terminology. It's the same message that you're going to be getting from the quarterbacks, coach, slash, offensive coordinator, whatever the makeup is. I'm fine. Look, mm-hmm. the buck stops with the head coach. You know, you should meet the head coach first thing. I have no problem with that. It's when it's a conflicting message. That's when I have an issue. So I don't have a problem with it because the head coach can do whatever he wants. But to your, to your, when you watch an Alabama game, Nick Saban's constantly saying something to the quarterback as he's walking off the field. Right. But I guarantee it's more big picture stuff. Hey, exactly. you got to make better decisions than that. Exactly. Hey, you know, I need you to calm down. I need you to, you know, you got to make sure you're making those right yes. progressions or whatever. What that's not what's happening at Notre Dame from from the source. And this is again, this isn't my opinion. Okay, this is not my opinion. This is what I've been told time and time again from people associated with all types of different parts of the football team. Right. So um, this is not like, oh, I talked to Ian Book's dad and he said Ian Book's dad, first of all, would never talk to me. Right. But second of all, um, you know, I try I, I, I try not to say things like this that I'm getting from the team if I get it from like one source. Because then you never know, like, what's the agenda? This is something I've heard time and time and time and time again from all types of different people. Right. And and the problem is, to your point, when the coach is trying to then talk scheme or decision or read, I've been told there's times when the in games, when the quarterbacks, the, the coaches will make a play call or they'll come up with something, you know, on the sideline and they'll say, hey, look, this is what you need to do. You need to make this read. And Brian Kelly will say, like, throw it to so-and-so. Just completely undermine what they said and tell the quarterback right. who to throw the ball to. It's not a well, read. that's the whole point. You don't know who the heck, you know, you don't know what the defense is going to do. Now, it's one thing to kind of like, you know, say it as like, we're about, hey, look, we 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 know that they are, they, they're in cover one this series. We're going to run this and we're doing it to hit this guy. That's not really what was happening. It was more of a, he just thought he knew where the ball should go. And, and, you know, it's just that's not something that should happen very often. And it definitely shouldn't happen very often from a coach who's not as involved in the offense on the day-to-day as he was back when he was the one calling plays. Because, again, you know, I've said Brian Kelly needs to go back to his roots. Either take the offense back over and go back to the guy you were or give it up. But still, the philosophy is what needs to change. And if you're going to be the head coach that's doing all these different things that are distracting you from the day to day, that's fine. I mean, that's I get it. There's nothing wrong with that. You're the Notre Dame head coach. There's going to be stuff that's going to right. Distract you but from the you hired this guy that you think is really smart, right? You hired this guy that you think is a future star in coaching. Let him flip and coach, right? Like let him be yeah. the voice in the room, because what you do when you do that is then you sort of undermine his authority as a, as a coach, right? You know, and and. Cutting the legs out from under. Right. And so he needs to, he, you know, and, and I don't know how possible this is going to be for Brian Kelly, who's a bit of a control freak, but I mean, he needs to do it because let's be honest, Brian Kelly cares a lot about his legacy. Big time. I imagine if today, I mean, right. What it is. Now, there's two ways to look at that. One is to kind of have your hands in everything. And then, you know, everyone say, oh, look how smart he is. Or B is, you hire coaches to do a job, and guess what? You're going to get a lot of credit for it, you know. And if Tommy Reese turns this offense into an elite offense, Brian Kelly can be like, "Ha ha! Look how smart I am. Yeah, Nobody thought I should hire this 28 year old." Yep. Blah 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 blah. But you got to let him do it. You got to let him do it. Got to let him do and it. So, but the biggest thing is the court because look, what's the one constant at Notre Dame for the last 11 years? Golden quarterback Dome. regression. Oh. Yeah. Right. Even more so than the Golden Dome. The Notre Dame football team. It's quarterback regression yeah, you're right right and it's 
Tommy Reese, across the, the Tommy Reese regressed as I mean, his Tommy Reese completed less than 55% of his passes in his last year as a starting quarterback, which was down from in the 60s his first two years. Everett Golson became a turnover machine in his second year. And you know, the numbers look good. He threw for 3,400 yards, but he wasn't as effective leading the offense because you know he, he had regressed and you know and he even regressed what was weird is during a season. He went from a guy that was brilliant for much of the first two months to a guy that couldn't even play anymore by the end of the year. That's not all on Brian Kelly, but that's a chunk of it's on Brian Kelly. Uh, Deshaun Kaiser regressed in year two. You know, and the numbers don't look a whole lot different, but when you break down the film, if you want to talk about numbers, go look at Deshaun Kaiser's fourth quarter numbers in 2015 and compare them to his numbers in 2016, and they are a complete 180. And, and he was not a good leader. I mean, there's a lot of regression from Deshaun Kaiser in year two. We saw Brandon Wimbush went from a guy that led Notre Dame to a nine-game stretch. In, so in 2017, in the first nine games of the year, Notre Dame played Georgia, Michigan State, USC, NC State, four ranked teams out of nine. They were averaging over 40 points per game and about 500 yards of offense per game. That was an explosive, dynamic offense. And then by the end of the year, Brandon Wimbush was ready to be benched. How does that happen? You know, what is going on? And then by year two, he was benched. Ian Book's quarterback rating went from 150s in 2018 as a starter to low 140s, mid to low one, mid, mid 140s in 2020, which is not good at all. His quarterback rating went down each year. Right. His yards per game went down each year. Ian Book's first year as a starting quarterback, he threw for over 290 yards per game. In the regular season, he was over 300 yards per game and completed 70% of his passes. This past year, despite playing a very ball control, safe offense, he completed 64.6% of his passes. Had over barely 230 yards per game. If anything, playing that ball control should have allowed him to have – I mean, Jack Cohn completed over 69% of his passes his last year in the Wisconsin offense. Somebody going to tell me that that – he had better weapons to throw to than Tommy Reese did against a weak ACC schedule. Ian Book. When, when, Ian Book, yeah. When when Jack Cohn completed 69% of his passes, he had to play Ohio State twice yeah. and Oregon. And I believe they paid, played Penn State that year too. I'm not 100% sure on that. Uh, but you, you get what I'm saying, Vince? Like Absolutely. You should not have a 60 and, – and again, I'm not blaming Ian Book for that anymore. I'm not. So when, when something happens once or twice – you just look at it and say, well, what about that circumstance was unique? But when something happens consistently over the course of a decade, then you have to look for the common denominators. You think of the 2015 offense that had explosive players everywhere, great offensive line, and they still averaged 34.2 points per game. That's it. And you say, well, you know, we need more playmakers. You mean like CJ Procise, Will Fuller, Chris Brown, Amir Carlisle, guys like that? Uh, we need a better quarterback. You mean like Deshaun Kaiser, you know, and they still averaged a point better that year than they did this year. That's it. That's it. So what's, what's been the common denominator? It's been Brian Kelly's insistence on playing offense in a certain way. Yep. Right. And until that changes, nothing is going to change. And and that's why I say you hired this coach to do the job, let him do it. And it, we're going to about to discuss what that looks like, right. but the reality is, if they make some of these philosophical changes they need to make, RPOs and all these, you know, up more more tempo and 
and and more you know uh, getting the ball on the perimeter in the pass game, being more aggressive. I mean, all these different things that we're talking about how they need to do. If Brian Kelly doesn't allow the coaches that are going to be putting in the work every single day to learn this offense, to run this offense, then he's still going to serve as a a bit of a roadblock. So that he neither needs to let them do it or he needs to tell Jack Swarbrick over the next year, you need to like cut my engagements in half because I'm going to be on the road. I'm going to be spending this next week in Norman, Oklahoma. I'm going to be spending this next week. Uh, he supposedly has a very good relationship with Dabo Sweeney. Uh, he's gonna he's gonna be down in you know Clemson. He's gonna set up some time to talk football with Ryan Day. He's gonna talk to you know what I mean. Like that's what you do, um, and and that's what coaches do. Uh, you, you you and he said this is what I'm gonna be doing because I'm gonna be the one that's gonna lead my staff down. We're gonna do this together. I'm gonna know exactly what we're doing. I have a philosophy that I want to do, and we're gonna learn some things and we're gonna implement those things into what we do and who we are, uh, and we're going to become an explosive offense. If he's not willing to do that, then he needs to say, okay, I'm taking a step back. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Tommy, this is what I want you to do and the staff to do, you guys are going to do this. You guys are going to be on the road. You guys are going to be learning from these coaches. You guys are going to be studying this because I want A, B, C, and D. Yep. I want a more explosive offense. We have to take. We have to be more aggressive offensively. We have to be more balanced offensively. We have to be uh, a team that's willing to attack the perimeter, push the tempo, and 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 we're going to be RPOs are going to be a big part of who we are, right? Yep, and 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 he needs to let them do that. That that's absolutely a must if Notre Dame is going to take that next step. One of those two things has to happen. You can't and you can't have a middle ground. It needs to be one or the other, and then go with it. The economy is made up of real people doing real stuff, and it affects everything, which you obviously know since you're a real person doing real stuff. Marketplace is here to help you get smart about everything beyond the what of the day's business and economic news. We dig into the how and the why with the real people driving our economy. From big tech and interest rates to small businesses and what's happening at the Fed, Marketplace breaks it all down so you don't have to. Listen to Marketplace wherever you get your podcasts. Well, I, I got to tell you, one of the coolest parts about being a football coach, and this is at every level I've, le- I've learned over the years, um, is that coaches collaborate with each other. They yeah. learn each other and coaches are willing yes like, successful coaches are willing to teach what they're doing to other people and that right 
also goes to the college level. Like uh, it, there was a, uh, uh, what was the movie? We are Marshall. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, and there was a scene in the movie where the Marshall coaches go over to West Virginia, their biggest rival. And they're like, Hey, Bobby Bowden was their head coach yeah. at the time. Just, Hey, let my secretary know what you need. You know, have, have your way with the film. Like coaches do that. And yeah. I know, I know that it was like a, this amazing part of the movie right. or whatever. That, it's true look, that Vince, all the time. I think it was Oh four, Oh four, Oh five. One year I was coaching. So we had, at our on our campus, we had Al Grow and his entire Virginia staff, and we had Bowling Green Tim Beckman, I believe. I don't remember if he was the head coach or the D coordinator, but we had the Bowling Green staff was on our campus, and so myself, our head coach, uh, Mike Grow, and I can't remember who the BG guy was at the time. Mike Grow was the offensive coordinator, quarterbacks coach for Virginia at the time. We sat in an office for like an hour just talking about quarterback play, yeah. just talking about some of the stuff they were doing and. You know, hey, we run this concept, and we could ask. I mean, hey, look, okay, so yeah, you're running that, but what are you doing when you face teams that do this, or exactly. you know, well, do you do that? You know, why do you do that? Well, we do that because you know we don't have fast receivers, and we, you know, okay, well, we got really fast receivers, so this is why we do what we do. Well, you look at your offense and say, well, we don't have that kind of speed, so we can't run that play. Okay, well, what do you have? Okay, we got really good tight ends. All right, well, look, here's how we would do it if we were if we had different. Per- you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, and, and you just pick each other's brains. I mean that that was my fa- honestly that was my favorite part of going to the coaches' conventions every year. Absolutely. You, I mean, you you listen to the talks. I mean, they get in front of the room, and those are fine. But it's more about getting with coaches you know in the industry and going out to dinner and just. I mean, there was one night. It was me and my head coach, Mike Donnelly, who, who passed away recently. And he, he used to coach in the Ivy League. He used to coach at Columbia. I believe he coached Marcellus Wiley. So it was, it was a bunch of guys from the Ivy League at that time, and they were at different places now. But they're sitting there, and we're talking football. And I was in my second year as a coach, so I did no talking. I just was listening and taking notes feverishly. Yes. But like they probably asked the waitress for napkins about 15 times. Because they were writing everything Because they're that? just writing stuff on napkins, you know, and – and that's what that's what coaches do. And and I get that now, especially now in today's era, it's so easy because you don't even act. To, I mean, I said you're going to Norman, Oklahoma with Zoom. You don't have to do that anymore. You can share your screen. You can share your screen. You can yeah. share video. You can upload. Hey, I'm going to send you all my third down cut ups. Here you go. Yeah. When I my third year as a coach, when I was at Duquesne, I had to literally get in my car and drive to the airport to pick up the actual hard copies of the VHS films that the other team had sent in on a flight, or I'd have to meet someone like three hours down the road, halfway. Yep. Now it's like you hit a button. Okay. Third down cutups hit email address. You want to send it to send. Yep. And that's it. So you can get on a zoom with Lincoln Riley and talk ball for an hour. You can get on a zoom with the staff and you can say, Hey, look tomorrow, let's talk about, you know, third down offense or whatever. Cause there's going to be things that teams are going to learn from Notre Dame, Notre Dame this year was a phenomenal third-down offense. Tremendous third-down offense. And their offense looked different on third-down than it did in other downs and distances. You don't think someone's going to want to pick their brain about that? Right. You know what I mean? Great, man. And they're going to say, hey, look, you know, we'll talk offense, but we want to talk about your defense. We want to talk with so-and-so on D. You know, that's okay. what they need to do. And, and that's what, like you said, most coaches love doing that because coaches love talking ball. They that, love talking ball. And that's the thing. They absolutely love doing I got one quick story for you just because it feels like story time. Yeah, let's uh, do they, it. They, uh, one of my head coaches in high school was Jay Johnson, who was a wide mm-hmm. receiver at Notre Dame. Yeah. And his position coach when he was there was? Urban Meyer. 
Urban Meyer, and they have a great relationship. And, of course, this happened the year before I joined his staff, but he took his entire high school staff to Ohio State, and Urban Meyer gave him the keys to the film room. Yeah. And said, man, whatever. Do whatever you need to do. They were going through film. They were looking mm-hmm. at playbooks. They were doing all this stuff. Yep. And, again, it's not the same personnel. But, yep. but you look at things that can work right. your team. And then right. Urban came in, and he's talking with them. Right. I mean – that's the kind of coaches have relationships yeah. that transcend so much other things. And, yeah. and they're so willing yes. to help. hundred percent. So Dan, willing to look, help. Dan Mullen, when he was a quarterback's coach at Bowling Green, spent two whole days with me. Like literally he was taking me to restaurants. We went out to eat, like literally didn't leave that guy's side except when I was sleeping for two whole days. And yeah. we watched film. He gave me coaching tips. And I, mean, I was some dude at a D three school, but, right? He just, it was a couple of days for him to talk. I learned a, so much in that two days, you know, about things that I applied to my entire coaching career. Yeah. You know, that I felt made me a better coach. And you said like, there was always film access. I remember, um, I knew a scout. I met a scout once for the Indianapolis Colts and he invited me down to training camp. And when you go down there, they have a film room for guest yes. coaches. Do they really? I was sitting in the film room with Ted Gilmore, who was at Purdue, I think at the time and some other coaches and like, literally it was beta. It's the only time I've ever dealt with beta, but you just had all this film that you could put in and literally you had access to film cutups of their entire three, like two, three seasons before. It was like the, it's like I'm sitting breakfast one day and like Peyton Manning sits down and he's reading a paper. I'm like, I'm not going to talk to him. I'm not going to talk to him. <laughs> I didn't talk to him because, you know, it's Peyton Manning and he's having breakfast, but like you watch the practice, then you go in and you can, you can watch all the film from the Indianapolis Colts that you want to watch. Yeah. You know yep. what I mean? Like, yeah, absolutely. And, and I mean, most coaches are cool about that right. because so, they're like, yeah, look, they're going to know what we do anyway. Cause they can get our film. Exactly. You know what I mean? Like, and if we don't want to give them our film, they can call up all of our opponents and get our film if they want it, you right. know? And, and so brace it. most coaches that way. And that's, and that's where the good coaches will do that all the time. Like, and it may be just be, and like you said, it's not about, okay, we're going to take Oklahoma's playbook and start running it. That That's not how it works. Not what at least that's not with good coaches. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've been in rooms where coaches are like, Hey, we're going to run this concept. Why? Cause I saw Virginia tech run it on third and eight on Saturday. Well, okay. But why did they run it on Saturday? You know, what was the defense they were facing? Who was their primary? Who are they trying to get open? Well, right. we don't have Andre Davis, you know, or we don't have this guy. We have this guy. And so, uh, that's we're not asking them to go out there and just run the entire offense and just copycat another team. No, you got to build around what you do, but you need to turn Tommy Reese and the staff loose to let do him, that. Let them even, do it. even have Lance Taylor. Hey, go reach out to some of your NFL contacts. You used to coach with the Carolina Panthers. Who's the offensive coordinator for the Carolina Panthers now? Joe Brady. Okay. Maybe you guys could set up some time to talk. You know, um, how what how were they? Because here's the, you don't necessarily talk scheme with Joe Brady. Because you, you, know, you say, well, we don't have Joe Burrow quarterback. That's fine. LSU went from having an offense that was worse than Notre Dame's to like, okay, let me, let me, I'm going to do this now. I'm going to pull up some stats to share with you. Okay. Because I was having this conversation with someone with the other day and they say, well, you know, Notre Dame doesn't have the talent. And I say, well, let me ask, I said, let me ask you a question. Did you think that LSU had the, in 2018, did you say to yourself, if LSU makes a scheme change next year, Joe Burrow is going to go out and throw 60 touchdowns and they're going to have the best offense in the history of college football. No, you would not have said that, right? You just what I picked LSU before the 2019 season. I actually predicted LSU would go to the college football playoff because I knew that they made the offensive scheme change. I knew that the offensive scheme change with 
how good they were on defense was be that final straw. I thought they'd score like 38 to 41 points a game. I didn't think they'd score 50. You know what I mean? In 2018, LSU averaged 32.4 points per game. Notre Dame in 2020 averaged 33.4. LSU on offense in 2018 averaged 402.1 yards per game of offense and 5.5 yards per play. Notre Dame in 2020 averaged 448 and a half yards per per game and 6.2 yards per play. Better. Significantly better than what Clemson was in 2018. Here Joe Burrow was Clemson or excuse me, LSU starting quarterback in 2018. Clyde Edwards-Alaire was their starting running back in 2018. At receiver, they had Justin Jefferson, they had Jamar Chase, they had Steven Sullivan, they had Terrace Marshall. They had all those same players that they had in 2019. Yep. Right? So they went from 32.4 points per game. Was anybody saying, boy, LSU just has all this. Joe Burrow's the next number one pick. If they just know, I thought he was a good quarterback that could have been a lot better, but I didn't see what he became. They went from 32.4 points per game in a year. In one year, they made a scheme change. They The next year, they went 48-4. and four. Or excuse me, they went 48.4 points per game against a schedule where they had to play the number 25, number 6, number 14, number 8, number 4, number 7, and number 2 teams in the country at the end of the year. Right. They did that against a schedule that had five top 10 opponents on it, including the, the postseason. Right. Their offense went from 402.1 yards per game to 568.4 yards per game. They went from 5.5 yards per play to 7.9 yards per play in one offseason with the same exact football team. Now, the point that I will continue to make is I'm not saying Notre Dame needs to start scoring 48 points a game. I'm not saying that. I'm not saying they have the talent to do so. That's not even a, a useful argument because if they do it, great, but that's not what I'm advocating for. What I do think they can do is score 40 a game, 42 a game. Basically, and, another touchdown a game, essentially. That's yes, all you're asking. Yes, exactly. Touchdown and to do it against the better teams on the schedule. Right. That's the difference. Because sure. in, in when Notre Dame has played good teams in recent years, they scored 14 against Bama, 10 against Clemson. They scored 17 against Georgia the first second time, 19 against Georgia the first time, 8 against Miami, 3 against Clemson in the playoff. They're not even competitive. The only game they scored any points was against a Clemson team they scored 26 points in regulation offensively because one of those touchdowns was by the defense. They scored a three of their 26 came because of a short field where they actually lost yards and still got a field goal because they got the ball so deep because of a turnover. So, and that was with Clemson missing three of their four best starters on defense, right? So that's the one anomaly. So they're not, they're not even, I mean, you're telling me in 2018 that Notre Dame's offense with Miles Boykin, Chase Claypool, Dexter Williams, Ian Book, who was coming into that game averaging over 300 yards per game as a starter, uh, with a with that offensive line, you're telling me they, they weren't better than three points? You, you know what I mean? So that's the thing is, Vince, we've seen evidence of offenses going from good to great or mediocre to all-time other, you know, all-time great status. You know, again, LSU's, LSU would have made an, a significant offensive improvement in 2019 to do what Notre Dame did in 2020. That, right. that would have been a significant offensive improvement. And no, you know what I mean? Like numbers wise. And so that's why I keep saying is it's, it's been done. Um, 
it's it's it, it Notre Dame has the personnel to get at least a touchdown better, but it's not just the points, it's the efficiency, the effectiveness, the big play nature of it. Those are the things that to me have to change. And until they change, Notre Dame is not going to take the next step. And I truly believe, and the whole point of this conversation is, I truly believe that that Tommy Reese can be that guy. He's young. Right. The fact that he isn't experienced can actually be an asset in this regards. Uh, and, and it, it's just something that, that needs, it's something that needs to happen. And, and, and if they're not willing to make big changes, it's not going to happen. But I truly believe that Brian Kelly doesn't have to fire Tommy Reese or demote Tommy Reese or, or bring in a, you know, a, a veteran you've made your, you've made your decision. Now, trust your decision and trust the kid you did it and don't ask him to just kind of do what you want him to do let him go out and say hey look here's what i want a explosiveness efficiency be able to to go toe-to-toe with anybody maximize our perimeter personnel we got to be able to do that absolutely because if you do those things now all of a sudden it makes your run game a whole lot better and a whole lot more i mean i showed this as good as Notre Dame's run game was this year they were fifth in the acc in yards per carry why because teams knew they were going to run the ball Teams loaded the box, and teams knew there was no threat of RPOs, so they could just once they saw a run, they committed to it, right. which limits yards. It does. Now all of a sudden, teams got to worry about your perimeter run game, and now that safety that's trying to you know f- uh, close the box on on Kyron Williams from seven yards away now has to do that from twelve yards away. Right. Well, that's the difference between Kyron Williams going for eight yards and Kyron Williams going for fifty yards. That's the difference between Chris Tyree going for eight yards and going for ninety yards. You know what I mean? Yep. And and so you're going to make your run game more effective. And that's the big thing is you look at the great offenses, they still run the ball. They do. I mean, LSU had the, the greatest pass offense in the history of mankind in 2019. They still ran the ball for 166.8 yards per game, and they're the anomaly. Oklahoma's over 200 every year. Ohio State's over 200 almost every year. The, worst, the two worst years that Clemson's had running the ball in the last five years were the two years they got beat in the semifinal. It's not a coincidence. So right. no one's saying you can't run the football. Uh, just saying that this is actually for a team like Notre Dame is going to make you even better. Yes. You, you know, and and so that's that's the whole point of it. And that's why I say is Tommy Reese can be that guy. I agree. I, I think Tommy Reese can be the guy. And I'm ready. I'm just ready to take the reins off of him. And let's see what he can do. I no. mean, yeah. You can't I, turn I, him loose in 2022. It's too late. You have to do I it agree. now. I agree. You have and to do it now. And, and I think this is the perfect opportunity. And I think that, um, and like I said, I was having this conversation with somebody else this morning, was that it, Brian Kelly is very concerned about his legacy. There is no question about it. But if you turn Tommy... Not, let me just say this real quick. Yeah. We're not saying that in an insulting manner. No. Because I think Urban Meyer, Nick Saban, I think sure. coaches care about things. When you get to the level in your career where you've, you're Brian Kelly's age, you've accomplished the things you've accomplished, and you're someone who's a competitor, you, you do care about your legacy. So I just want to make sure that that even though it it I think the decisions he makes, I have a problem with based on that. Like he makes decisions based on his legacy that tick me off. He talks the program down to make his legacy look good. That bothers me. Sure. I don't care that he cares about his legacy. I think he should care about his legacy. I think all great coaches care about their legacy. So I just want to say that real quick that right. we're not saying that in a manner, in this instance, in a manner that's insulting Brian Kelly for caring about his legacy. I think he should. I think Lou Holtz cared about his. Legacy. I think all great coaches at some point in time 
start thinking about what is their legacy going to be at the end of the deal because you've invested your life into this. Yes, I mean your whole, I mean your whole life into this. So yeah, of course your legacy should matter. Yeah, but no, I, and I'm not saying it shouldn't. What I'm saying is, if you hired Tommy Reese uh, against what a lot of people thought you should do, so if you let him loose and he's successful. Man, you you could start building the statue at this. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, yes, I'm not 100%. guaranteeing a national championship or anything. But what I am guaranteeing, if you let Tommy Reese loose and he is successful, that's the missing piece to what Notre Dame needs to do. Yeah. And it, it would be him. It would have been Kelly's. It wouldn't be hiring some outside guy, right? Like, it wouldn't right. be hiring Joe Moorhead. Because if you hired a Joe Moorhead, then I think that Joe Moorhead would get a lot of the credit. Sure. Because he's an outsider and, yeah. you know, kind of like what Clark Lee did. You know, Clark Lee got a lot of credit, and I, I don't know if Brian Kelly necessarily liked that, um, you know, because he wants to get the credit. But that's the thing is Tommy Reese will get credit, but it'll all be due to, wow, what a great – like no, nobody thought Tommy Reese should I – mean, Northwestern didn't even bring him back for a second interview for their offensive coordinator job, right? Right. Brian Kelly had the foresight to go hire this kid and yada, yada, yada – it's going to pump up his legacy, rightfully no, so. No rightfully doubt. Rightfully so. No doubt. So he needs to turn it loose, Vince. And that's the whole, to your point, is if you, if it is a legacy conversation, you've made the move that, that's going to factor into it. This yeah. is the move. Yeah. If if Tommy Reese doesn't work out, Brian Kelly will never win a national championship in Notre Dame. I agree. If this move wasn't the right move, and I'm not talking about just for 2020. My biggest issue with hiring Tommy Reese was 2020. It was you had a team in 2020 that had a chance to compete in my because I thought it was going to be a down year in college football. And it was. This is not a great Ohio State team. This is not a great Clemson team. Alabama was better than I thought it was going to be, but I, I even still think you could have competed with Alabama. Sure. It, could you are you going to beat them seven times out of ten? No, but that's not how it works. Right. You only got to beat them once. You know, and so I thought this was the year to do it. I knew LSU was going to be down. There was going to be a lot of down teams. This was the team where Notre Dame had a veteran team coming back. You needed to hire a proven coordinator, and he didn't do it. Moving forward, it's okay. Well, Tommy Reese isn't going to get worse. We're going to get better, right? And and how quickly do you let him get better? Is right. the question now? Is do you continue to stand in his way, or do you say, "Hey, man, I hired you because I think you're a really wicked smart guy." Give him the keys. So let me you need because here's the thing too is Tommy Reese in a lot of ways is running Brian Kelly's offense. That's never going to be as successful as someone running an offense that they believe in. Correct. At the end of the day, you have to find your own identity. And the reality is, is the longer Brian Kelly keeps Tommy Reese doing what he's doing now, then he's going to eventually just be another Brian Kelly. Right. I got I got a great analogy for you. When I was hired to do my student teaching at the end of my college career, I got a gentleman who was, he was a football coach. He was a wrestling coach. You know, he's a coach. It was awesome. And he was on the back end of his career. And when I walked in, he literally handed me the keys and he said, I got two rules wear a tie every day and don't be late. And he dropped the keys and I didn't see him for weeks. Okay. That's what, that's what Brian Kelly needs to do. Look, Here's the keys to the – hold on, hear me out. Here's the keys to the offense, okay? I got a couple rules. Mm-hmm. Utilize the tight ends and run the damn ball. That's right. what I want you to do. You know, whatever whatever his rules are, right? right? But And then he just needs to back off. And like, hey, right. if you need me, I'll be taking a nap right. in the locker room. Like, I, that's, that, that's what he told me. I'll be taking right. a nap in the locker room. If you need me, I'm here. 
but just do your thing. Just right. Know, getting thrown in the fire is the best opportunity to learn, and it doesn't work for everybody. I get that. For me, it worked great. Mm-hmm. For Tommy Reese, I think it'll work great. Yeah. That's what he needs to do. And and I get – I mean, Brian Kelly's a great resource to have. Brian Kelly's a smart Absolutely. guy. No doubt. But you need to allow Tommy to use you as a resource when he wants to use you as a resource. And he's going to because Tommy Reese clearly – loves and respects brian kelly otherwise he wouldn't yeah. have taken this job Agreed. right if he had a miserable playing experience and didn't think brian kelly was a really good football coach i he's smart enough to know i'm not hitching my wagon to that train because, you know what i mean his legacy right now is always is going to be attached to to brian kelly right for now. his his future like the opportunities that are presented to him are going to be because of what happens yes. with brian kelly so clearly there's a mutual respect there and yeah. so there's so it's like you said it's Brian Kelly needs to make sure that he's giving direction. Yes. Uh, he needs to set the agenda. He needs to set this is the demands. And then he needs to be the guy that holds everyone accountable to that. And so that's where Brian Kelly needs to be very involved is, hey, look, we're making these changes, right? I'm not seeing, I'm seeing, you know, n- trust it. And then the thing he needs to do is he needs to push Tommy because yeah. there's going to be some nat- natural hesitancy where he say, okay, is he really going to want me to really turn this thing loose? Yeah. And then when he doesn't do, like he's, you know, let's say they go through a couple practices and they're not pushing the tempo. Like, hey, Tommy, look, we're going to be a tempo team. And, and again, when we say tempo, we're not talking about Oregon 2010. I'm not talking about Wake Force now. I'm just talking about going at a faster pace and running more plays, right? Which most teams are doing. Yes. So I'm not talking about neck breakneck. You're snapping the ball at 30 seconds, right? That's not what we're talking about by tempo. It's get lined up, get your call, and then and then go. You know, but if you're going to do that, you got to practice it every single day, and you got to be even faster in practice than you are in games. That's just that's just how it works. You know, if 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 you're going to say we're going to snap the ball at certain time, then you need to force make it even faster in practice. Uh, you know, and so those are the things he needs that accountability where he's making sure that he's I've demanded the change. I need to see it. You know, if they go out in the first couple games and Tyron Williams has nine touches in the first game and 11 touches the next game, Brian Kelly can step in and say, hey, look, why aren't we utilizing number 23? Why aren't we utilizing number 25? Let's make sure we're getting those guys involved in the game. That's where he can then step in and make sure that he's he, he's he needs to ensure that what he wants is carried out. Yes. Right. No doubt. But it's it's not in the way that he's doing it now where he's you know, it's like you can't do what he's doing now if you're not in the film room every day. If you're not studying the film, if you're not doing all the things that those coaches are doing and his, the nature of his job is such that he can't do those things. You've turned the defense over. You know, I mean, it, it's and but what's been the strength of this team the last four years? It's been the defense. Right. Not the offense. Right. And so, you know, Tommy, here's and here's here's what those commands should be. We're not going to lo- we're going to make changes. We're going to be an explosive, efficient, faster paced offense that is going to that needs to do a much better job taking advantage of its perimeter personnel. We need to be able to hit big plays. We need to be we need to be able to spread teams out. Those are the things we need to do. We need to be more efficient offensively. But here's what we're not going to do. We're not going to lose our identity as a team right. that builds around the offensive line. And our our ability to 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 be physical running the football, we're not sacrificing that. Right. And the thing is, you don't have to, and that's the whole point. It it's like you've got air raid offenses like the one at USC. They don't run the ball at all. Right. I mean, it is amazing how how USC like it's like almost it's kind of like there's times where it's almost like Graham Harrell runs the ball like begrudgingly. 
you know, it's like, oh gosh, I guess I have to hand the ball off. And it's just, you know, I mean, when they when they played Washington State, they won 38 to 13. They ran the ball 20 times for five yards. USC, tailback you tailback. ran the ball 20 times for five yards. Crazy. You know, and then you have air raids like Lincoln Riley where they're running for 220-plus yards per game. It's like the West Coast. I've said this before. I mean, the version of the West Coast that John Gruden runs is not like the version of the West Coast that, that Mike Shanahan runs. Not everybody's running the exact offense that Bill Walsh ran. You, you, you adapt your own identity to it, and the air raid is no different. And so that's why I say is, is running the football does not have to be sacrificed. Being a physical football team does not have to be sacrificed. And, in fact, I think that would even enhance – Notre Dame's offense compared to other schools because you have this brilliant talent at offensive line and now you're taking pressure off of them right you're forcing teams into 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 less box players you're getting defenses on their heels more because of your tempo yes, and now please. they have to stop your run what was that Vince I said yes please yes I'm an offensive you know? line or an offensive yes <laughs> yeah you're taking pressure off your quarterback. You know, you're taking pressure off your offensive coordinator. You're allowing your talent to thrive. Yes, absolutely. And right. and look, nobody in 2018 was saying, "Boy, LSU has an off has a group of skill players on offense that can go out next year and set the world on fire." People thought exactly what I'm saying about the Notre Dame offense. Yep. If they turn these guys loose, they can definitely be better. And I, and I and that's why I picked LSU to be a playoff. I I you go back and look, it was a BGI. I picked LSU to be a playoff team that year in Alabama, not to be because I thought opening up the offense was the missing link. Now, again, I did not predict what we saw. I did not think that Joe Burrow was going to throw 60 touchdowns, I, but I thought he was going to be a lot better because I liked what I saw from him. Sure. I saw talent. I saw ability with that team that if they just get the flipping handcuffs off those guys, you could be a 40-point-per-game offense. And with Dave Aranda's defense, you're scoring 40 points a game. You over. can beat anybody. Game over. You know, and so, you know, I I just – yeah, I thought they could hold Clemson to 25 points and beat them 31-25 to 25 in the title game, right? Like, I didn't think they'd beat them 42-25 to 25 because their offense was so good. You get what I'm saying? Like, Absolutely. And and that's kind of where I where it came from for me. But they were even better. And, and, you know, maybe Notre Dame is even better than I think, but it's, it's about, you've got this talent and you've got a system when you constantly, when you constantly have to talk down your players, then the problem isn't your players. It's you. When you have to talk about traits all the time, traits are important. I, I get that, but they've become sort of the cop out for everything now. Well, why doesn't this, why don't you do this traits? Why don't you do that traits? Why does this guy play traits? Right? Like, okay. You know, I'm sorry, but Jordan Johnson needed to play more. Chris Tyree needed to play more. And here's the thing is, you you push the tempo a little bit, and guess what? You now have five to eight more plays a game where you can give those guys touches, right? And so those are the things, Vince, for me, that when I look at it, I say, this is a football team, in my opinion, that has a chance, you know, like to, to get over that final hump. I agree. And, and it's because of – Brian Kelly getting him here, right? Like, here's the thing. Notre Dame hasn't gotten to this level in spite of Brian Kelly. In in 95% of the ways, they've gotten here because of Brian Kelly. And I say 5% because there are some things he's done to, to hurt. But then also, you know, the stadium, the facilities, you know. I mean, no, Jack Swarbrick deserves a, a lot of credit for yeah. those aspects of it because hey, they have a better – Brian Kelly, too. So Right, right. And they have a better 
product to sell from an overall standpoint. And so, but, but that's all because Brian Kelly, if Brian Kelly doesn't take the team to the national championship game in the third year, do they have as much of a case as, Hey, let's really commit the resources to it. Right. Right. If Brian Kelly was doing Bob Davey, Ty Willingham things, they wouldn't have invested the hundreds of millions, if not billion dollars they've invested in the football program last decade. Right. Be talking about Brian Kelly anymore. either. Right. Right. So the, the point is, he is the he is the driving force that got them to this point. He is also the the thing that's keeping them right here. Yeah, right. He is also the person that can make the moves to get them to here. <laughs> that's where I'm coming from, Absolutely. and and that's why I'm so critical of Brian Kelly. It's not because I dislike Brian Kelly. It's not because I think Brian Kelly's a bad football coach. It's because I believe this program is capable of more. And we'll get into some other things that need to change too, but. That right now, you've got an offensive coordinator that's smart, that's yep. young, yep. that is in, he, he's got the right level of inexperience to do what we're now calling him to do. I agree. Yep. And the reason I'm doing it now is because you have a, like you said, Vince, brand new starter quarterback, but it goes beyond that. You have a brand new offensive line. Yep. This is going to take pressure off that line. Yep. You can't ask that line to do what you asked your 2020 offensive line to do. And then you can't also just accept four losses because you're rebuilding. No right. rebuilding at Notre Dame. Not in year 12. Nope. I'm sorry. You've got a bunch of talented, young, unproven skill players. Yep. You've got a great tight end depth chart and a great running back depth chart. And if you look at the roster in 2022, when you got to play Ohio State, Clemson, and USC – there's a lot of dudes going to be coming back from that team. Yep. So this is the year you've got a schedule. You've talked about this. You've got a schedule that's conducive to making this move now. Yes. And you kind of, you, cause you can, t- the point is you can take some lumps early, Correct. but still win games. And that's, that's the key. When you're talking about the schedule, this is look, is it a cupcake schedule? No, it is not a cupcake schedule but it is a much more workable schedule than the 2022 schedule. Right. I don't want to be making these moves a year from now. That right. is not when you make moves with this group because you're going to be getting most of the offense back yes. from this year. So this is when you make the move. You take your lumps this year, and by lumps, I mean like nine or ten wins. Those are lumps at Notre Dame, right? You take your lumps this year so that you're ready to take it to the next level next year. That's right you should see this thing blossom because if you look at events, I'm going to, I'm going to share, I'm going to share something on the, the screen here real quick. Um, we weren't going to share a screen, but I just think this is too important to, to do. You, you talked about 2022. Uh, we talked about, you know, playing Ohio state and, and Clemson, right? I think we would all agree that those are programs that are going to be more talented than Notre Dame to what degree remains to be seen. This is the 2021 21 schedule. Okay. See if I can make this a little bit bigger. I cannot. Here, here's Notre Dame's recruiting rankings the last four years compared to their entire 2021 schedule. And what you're going to find is there's nobody on this schedule that has a higher average recruiting ranking than Notre Dame has the last four years. Notre Dame, if you want to look at if you want to look at um, four star top hundred players, okay, I'm going to scroll down here on this the screen. Who has signed more top hundred players? The last four years, USC has two more top 100 players. The next closest team is North Carolina at seven, right? Top 250 recruits. This is on the the 247 sports composite list. Nobody has signed more top 250 players than Notre Dame at 36. USC's next at 32. Florida State's next at 25. North Carolina's down at 20. 
Stanford's at 13. Notre Dame has signed almost three times as many top uh, 250 players on the 247 sports composite list than has Wisconsin, who some people will consider one of the toughest opponents Notre Dame's going to face this year. Sure. Point being, you're going to have better players than everyone you play this year in the regular season. Correct. So you have the ability to overcome maybe if it takes you four or five games to really get your offense rolling. You're still going to be good enough to win those games. Yes. You should be good enough on defense to win those games. So this is the year to do it. You you don't want your offense running a brand new offense going into play Ohio State the beginning of the 2022 season. And that's why I say it's got to be now. Turn it over to Tommy now. Let him learn running this offense now. Let him and Lance Taylor and John McNulty and Jeff Quinn be responsible for shaping the the schematics, the the practice schedule, the way that they're going to implement this new thing, you know. But Brian Kelly give, needs to give the direction to, and, and to, to do it, and he needs to say, now, now go get it done. And then give them the freedom yes. to come up with their and, – and again, this isn't going to require learning a new playbook. This is going to be more about you know, the RPO thing. It, you, the, most of these guys have run that to a degree with Chip Long. Not a lot, but they've run it. They understand it. They have the skill to do it. What they have to do is they have to – you have to practice it. It's going to change how you practice, how you prepare. The terminology is not going to really change a whole lot, if at all. Uh, you don't have to change personnel. You don't have to stop using tight ends. I mean, you need to – I think there's cases to be made to use more 11 personnel with some of these young receivers, but you don't have to make those wholesale changes. It's going to be about your preparation is going to change. Sure. That's it. So, again, we're, we're not talking about you're moving to an area. You don't need to change your schemes per se. There may be some wrinkles you add here and there, but things don't have to change. That's the change is the philosophy and Brian Kelly and his role in that philosophy and his role in the everyday with the offense. And that's why I believe that even though I did not support the hire a year ago, that when I look at it now, they're not going to get rid of Tommy Reese. And I don't think they need to get rid of Tommy Reese. They need to turn Tommy Reese loose. End of the day, Vince, that's where it comes down is turn them loose. Give them the direction, tell them what you want them to do, and then let them go do it. Because if they do that, because now, to wrap up, now you go into 2022, I mean, you're asking Tommy Reese in year one at 28 years old to go toe-to-toe with Nick Saban in an offense where he has to have the right play call or it's not going to work and there's no flexibility at all. That's that's setting him up for failure. In, in two years, when he's going against Brent Venables and Kerry Coombs, he'll now be a 30-year-old in his third year. Right, running an offense that you that he has more invested in, that he has more say in, that he has more. We're doing this because this is what I like as the offensive coordinator, because this is what I believe as the offensive coordinator, and he's going to be a lot better at that. And now in two years, you're going to have people saying, "Oh, you're an idiot for thinking they shouldn't hire Tom Reese." Fine, I'll take that. Okay, if that means he's doing what he's capable of doing, exactly, which is fine. Yeah, I'll take it. Yeah, I'll take it. So that, that'll do it. Uh, Tommy Reese and the future of the ND offense. I'm excited for the possibility. I don't know if it'll happen. I hope it happens. Um, but we'll, we'll, we, we shall see. But we've got more coming down the pipeline for you. So make sure you stay tuned. We're going to talk a little bit, I believe, about the 22 uh, recruiting class yeah. here. Up. Next couple podcasts, we'll be looking at sort of the needs of the 2022 yeah. class. We'll do offense first, then defense. And then within that conversation, we'll also want to introduce you to some early names to know. Yes. of 2020 recruits that 
these are some top guys that they need to get. And then we'll have uh, we'll follow up early next week with a couple breakdowns of the must-get recruits for Notre Dame in 2022. These are the guys that Notre Dame needs to land that are Notre Dame fits that could be the difference between a top 8 to 13 class or a top five-ish caliber class, and to land that one or two guy that they're guys that they're not getting now that can take them over the hump. Yep, and I will have uh, an Irish crossover. Uh, I've mm-hmm. got uh, Darren Pritchett, the voice of the Irish hockey team. He he and I are going to sit down tomorrow and uh, and talk a little ND hockey. So they just blasted Ohio State this past yeah, weekend. Pretty glorious. I mean, and fourteen to two in the two last two games, right? It was a six to one and eight to one. Yeah, and then they went up to Minnesota a couple of weeks ago and won two games over the number one team in the country. So these yeah. guys are some road warriors. So we're going to talk about. Oh, that's right. They did that to Ohio State in Columbus, didn't yes. they? Yes, that was on the road. Yes. So uh, we're going to talk some Irish puck uh, tomorrow. I said puck with a P. We're going to talk about that. <laughs> and, uh, so that'll be fun. So we'll get that out to you tomorrow. And uh, so lots of good stuff. So make sure you're subscribing to our podcast, wherever you get your podcast. Make sure you're you're uh, hitting the subscribe button and the like button. Brian, it's on your side today. Yes, uh, it is right down here. Yeah, so make sure right you uh, you smash those buttons over on our YouTube channel. And also, of course, check out our irishbreakdown.com uh, website because there's always good stuff over there. And it's always free. Yeah, that's right. So check it out. Uh, all the good stuff is over there. So uh, I'm Vince Sedario. on the Football Analyst. That's Brian Driscoll. Uh, we will talk to you next time on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. <laughs>